Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Firm, but with little give. Yep, these are medium rare. What if somebody wants theirs well done? We ask them politely yet firmly to leave. Michael Preston. I've said it before, and I will uh, say it again on this show. Um, that 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 television show is—it's like the most egregious ending, and it had nothing to do with the show itself. It was like because Fox jerked them around so much, and I think there's like a—they're going to try to bring the show back um, at some point. Fox is—I think Mike Judge has said so um, as well. But like. It ended during the writer's strike, and they were, oh, we were going to give them a full season, then six episodes, and a full season again, and then they got to, like, the 13th episode of the 13th season, and they were like, yeah, you're done. No ending. No nothing. Plenty of King of the Hill talk always on the Kook Center Hour. I am Michael Preston, as always, your intrepid host. Day from Addicted to Quack is going to join us in a little bit to talk about the Oregon Ducks. I want to touch on, it. it this is going to be one of the side effects, again, of conference realignment. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit and again why I kind of think you know 10 20 years from now there's some regret about how we're doing things right now because this is still a regional sport at its heart uh and then as always we end with our dunderhead of the week and ask Michael anything first off very exciting to be in Pullman for the first time for for a football game that is um for the first time in three years uh as we were last weekend it was just kind of nice being back with that feeling uh, of being there to watch a football game. I've been to, went to two basketball games last season, uh, and that was very, very fun. The feeling just doesn't like quite compare, you know what I mean? Even though it was for a guy's trip and then our own Craig Powers' bachelor party, both of which I had a load of fun on, there's just something really special about a football game when there's, you know, tens of thousands of people extra in town and all of the other good jazz. So first off, um, that was great. I do also want to address right off the top. I, I, I snort laughed, um, when Glenn Johnson got on the PA, this was like the fourth quarter, you know, first admonishing people for leaving early. Then there was a lot of clapping and then he mentioned a water main break on Grant Avenue downtown and that there may be traffic issues. <laughs> so like in one breath we're, we're yelling at people for leaving early. And then in the very next, like, Oh yeah, you might want to do that because of this problem. <laughs> like, good God. Um, but I loved that first quarter from the Cougs. I mean, they looked great. They looked like they were going to run away with it. They looked like, at one point, they were on like a 168-point pace. And, of course, that's never, ever happened before. Uh, but each one of those offensive drives was clinical. Each one of those defensive drives was pretty darn clinical. And it looked like exactly what I wanted to see out of that football team uh, in the first quarter. I don't think, and I, I hope I impressed last week that I didn't think there was like too much of a chance of a letdown. Jake Dickert and his staff seem to do a pretty good job of preparing this team to play the team in front of them on a week-to-week basis um, with Oregon coming up this week. Uh, but, it, and I mean, I, and again, to nobody's surprise, um, or at least on mine, they came out and they really just shoved that ball straight into Oregon or to Colorado State's chest uh, and... <laughs> Really made it hurt in that first quarter. Um, so they did exactly what they needed to do in that first quarter. The play calling looked dynamic. The offense looked unstoppable. That touchdown 
to Deshaun Stribling to start things was absolutely beautiful. The offensive line blocked beautifully on a couple of Nakia Watson runs. It all looked really good. And then I think after that, you get into the second quarter and then especially the second half. And things just got really vanilla. Or at least it felt like it. It looked like a team that had completely taken their foot off the gas. Now granted, in the second half, there were there was a lot more rotating at receiver. Uh, and we saw a lot more rotating at running back. Cam Ward never did come out of the game. And that's, again, something I would have liked to have seen. Um, his backups get some run. But it... it I, I don't want to focus too much on that second half, or at least my brain is telling me to not want to do that, but I, I, I like I keep going back to it. And maybe like I'm looking for a problem because, you know, and, and I think Jeff said this on Podcast Versus Everyone this week, it was like the, everybody got something out of the game coaching-wise that they wanted. A lot of stuff looked really good, but there's still stuff to nitpick. That's exactly what you want out of that game. Um, but they, they just... You know, Dean Janikowski's field goal to start the third quarter to get up 31-0. And from there, everything just... It was an exceedingly boring second half. Which is good, in a way. Because, like, you know, Colorado State just scored the one touchdown. And then they never really threatened otherwise. Even that turnover um, inside of Wazoo's 30. They never really got close and had to attempt a field goal. Or no, I think they went for it on fourth down. Um... So I, I kind of going back to my earlier point of Glenn Johnson admonishing people for leaving early. Like I, I guess if you needed to drive back to Spokane or the Tri Cities or Walla Walla or wherever, uh, even I knew some folks who came over from one night for, for one night from Seattle. Um, there was probably no issue cutting out a little early because I, you know, we stayed in the stands because it was my first time in three years, our first time, my wife and I is in three years. Um, but I, I just like it was it was pretty vanilla. The last drive uh, was good, watching them hold on to the ball for a while, but it just seemed to be a very boring second half, and it kind of seemed like it was that way by design. Maybe it was just me, because, um, again, this offense at least hasn't really showed much of anything against bad defenses when it comes to Idaho and Colorado State. They did just enough against Wisconsin to get that win. Um, Cam Ward still looks like he's adjusting to playing at this level. And even though Colorado State might be worse than Idaho, it's clear he still needs a little time to adjust to playing with athletes that are in the FBS. Now, he's going to get a big taste of that when Oregon rolls in on Saturday. And he needs to learn to go through his progressions. He needs to learn to go through his reads. And we'll see if he can accomplish that. But... I, I still I'm coming back to that point of it just it was very blah. It was very blah second half. First half was great. And again, maybe this is just by design. You just kind of let the gas pedal go a little bit and you know, you don't need to ratchet things back up. Like there's no point in taking Colorado State to the woodshed. No point in doing that. Especially when Brian Ward, the defensive coordinator for Washington State, worked with Jay Norvell, the head coach at Colorado State. And I I, I don't know if Dickert and Norvell have ever crossed paths directly, um, but they certainly both worked in the Mountain West. So I don't know if, if it's just an issue of, you know, let me give you a good example of why it might just be that like coaches like look across the field and see a, see a team that is really, really outmatched and there is just no point in continuing to take them into the woodshed, especially if you don't want to put anything on tape. I think this was in the second quarter 
Colorado State had the ball. And like you could see a couple of their coaches frantically waving somebody off the field, trying to get them off the field because they broke the huddle with 12 men. Okay? Illegal sub, you can't do that. Right? Fine. After the penalty, Colorado State has to call a timeout because they only had 10 men on the field. So you take a penalty for too many men in the huddle, and then on the next play, you have to take a timeout because you've got too few men on the field. That is the level of disorganization, and that is where Colorado State is at right now. And so I'm kind of leaning towards it being that case that maybe they just kind of saw that and other things like that and went, you know what, maybe we don't need to make this worse than it is. And I, I and I, I don't know. I, you know, I just, I mean, because I'm, I'm kind of searching for a reason why. Um, and at least that seems like relatively plausible to me. Like, you, you know what you needed to do, and you went out and did it in that first half, and that was, that was enough. And I, I would like to see some more killer instinct. Mike Leach's team certainly, if, if that was the case, they would go out and beat up on somebody. Um, but that just might not be Jake Dickert. That might not be Eric Morris. That might not be Brian Ward. Um, Brian Ward did put the starters back in <laughs> trying to keep Colorado State out of the end zone. Um, so I, I don't know. And it kind of leads me down the path of, you know, obviously we've seen a lot of chatter this week, um, about Wazoo not being in the top 25. And I think Matt Chaz now said they were like the first, first power five team in, in a very long time or ever to have a true road win over a ranked power five team in their first three games, start three, and not be ranked. Um, I mean, A, it just, it shouldn't surprise you. WSU doesn't have the cachet to kind of get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to being ranked in the top 25 this early in the season, especially if they aren't ranked preseason in the top 25. Um, so from that standpoint, it's not surprising to me, but B, I almost wonder, and again, this kind of gets back to what I was talking about earlier. I almost wonder if they're not getting the credit because they're doing this with their defense. The defense has given up. 31 points in three games so far this season. I know Idaho scored 17, but seven was on a on a scoop and score. So is it because Washington State's identity, like we've talked about before, is offensive? The identity for Wazoo is always offense, offense, offense. And they're not doing it by they, you know, they're not blowing the doors off anybody. So does beating Colorado State by a more significant margin doing it? Does taking care of business against Idaho do it? I don't know that it really does. And I'm left to wonder, is is the lack of kind of quote unquote respect from voters in the AP due to the fact that Washington State is doing this in a non-traditional way as far as WSU is concerned. Maybe. Because I look back at, I mean, you know, again, I mean, like we've said also before, for a team without, with as little kind of like, you know, national respect historically, Wazoo's had some really great offenses, some really great quarterbacks, some really great skill players. And that's kind of what they're known for, fairly or unfairly. So it leads me to wonder, do voters just not trust a Washington State team with an offense that so far has been pretty mediocre? Do they just not trust it? 
And there's also, I mean, it's just a case that it's it's week three, and I, you know these rankings always fluctuate wildly on a week to week basis this early in the year. So should we be surprised that Wazoo isn't ranked? Should we be surprised that Oregon State's not ranked? Kansas even, Kansas, goodness me, Kansas. Probably not. I mean, it still stinks. I'm not here to tell you. I'm not here to tell you that like, oh, don't worry about it, and it's stupid to worry about. I'm just saying it, it just, for me, it's not unexpected and I'm, I'm not as, even though I've been talking about it for the last three or four minutes now, like I'm just not, I'm not as wrapped up about it. It just, it, for me, yeah, that kind of meshes with the history of the, you know, again, quote unquote respect Wazoo gets and it's, it's just kind of, yeah, it is what it is for me. You look now ahead. I mean, if you beat Oregon, you're going to be in the top 25 for sure. And I think this is kind of, and we'll talk about it in our interview with Day here in a little bit, but this is kind of that first game where you see a team on the other side of the field that go, goes, hey, that looks like me. Like, Oregon had happened to them what happens to everybody who plays against Georgia. And then they beat the crap out of Eastern, which they should do. And they ran it up against BYU, which was surprising. Um, but... You know, again, that's an unexpected result. Wazoo struggled to beat Idaho, beat Wisconsin on the road, and then they beat the snot out of Colorado State. So what do you really make of anybody after three games like that? Like, I don't know. I know Wazoo's defense is strong. I know Dan Henley's the best athlete at linebacker we've seen here in a long, 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 long time. Beyond that, I don't really know a ton. Oregon doesn't really know a ton. So this is kind of that first measuring stick for both of these schools. And I think if you were to ask the coaching staffs, honestly, I don't think either of them want it to happen this early in the season. This game is always kind of close, no matter how good or bad these teams are. Wazoo always gives Oregon trouble. You can ask Oregon fans about the last six to eight years of playing Wazoo. They hate it. Because Washington State gives them trouble on an annual basis. There was an entire recruiting class of Oregon athletes that never beat Washington State. And in this century, that is just not a thing that happens at Oregon. So, from the standpoint of we're going to find out a little bit about both of these teams... I think this is a very interesting football game. And they're going to finally see another team that they can kind of measure themselves really and truly against. I'll say this. Jake Dickert, and it's been, what, nine games now? He always has his football teams ready to go. They always are focused on their opponent. They don't have a look ahead next week. It's just, it's Cal next week. They're always supremely focused. And this may be his, you know, outside of that game against BYU last year, um, because you were doing everything on such a short week and with like literally getting offensive coaches to arrive on Wednesday night. Um, this might be his biggest test as a head coach. You know, the Apple Cup was wonderful last year, but this is a sold-out 
juiced up crowd. This is 33,000 people and it's not just all going to be Coug fans. This is always a well-traveled game for Oregon fans. This is kind of Jake Dickert's biggest game so far. Does his coaching staff have the game plan necessary to beat the Oregon Ducks? Can you get pressure on Bo Nix? Can you pass successfully? Can Cam Ward have his best game of the year? Because I think that's going to have to be the case to beat Oregon. And to get out of here with what would be a signature win and vault you into the top 25, undoubtedly. I'm going to be very interested to see how this plays out. I frankly wouldn't be surprised by any score in this game. I I really wouldn't be. And I know I'll be disappointed (laughs) if they lose. Um... I always say I'll guard my heart and I won't ever get too up and down, but I was salty for a few minutes about the second half uh, on Saturday itself. And then my wife reminded me I promised her I wouldn't be mad about it if they won. So I couldn't be mad anymore. <laughs> It'll be an interesting game, to say the least. Let's talk to Day from Addicted to Quack uh, about the Ducks. When we come back from this commercial break, please buy whatever they advertise. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, our annual visit with Hithliday from Addicted to Quack covering, uh, yeah, you guessed it, the Oregon Ducks. I don't think there's another mascot in the conference that would quack or do anything near it. So, uh, in fact, uh, there's only one live mascot. I, I just, I tried to think if Oregon has a live mascot, but they don't. I think the only live mascot's down in Colorado. Yeah, that's all they, or no, and at Washington too. See, well, I, I, I completely forget about Harry Husky. I mean... The duck is alive, like it's it's not Robo Duck. So, <laughs> I, yes, I remember when they tried that out uh, for one game at least. Um, I want to start out uh, just kind of the overall thoughts of Oregon because it's it's been you know it's been three games now, but also eight months since Dan Lanning um, landed the job in Eugene following Mario Cristobal's departure for the University of Miami. Um, just kind of the overall thoughts of Oregon fans when that hire took place. And then how they're feeling now. I mean, we're only a quarter of the way into Lanning's first season at Oregon, but kind of just a general, how does everybody feel about it right now? Well, it feels pretty good. Um, you know, the when he was originally hired, you know, he was he had just captained a uh, you know a, a team that would go on to win the national championship. I think mm-hmm. Oregon fans liked the fact that he stuck around in Georgia to finish the run before going to Oregon. Cause it felt like he was doing it the right way. Like, even right. though that's sort of like objectively speaking, um, you know, was, was less good for the ducks than like immediately decamping to Eugene and, and starting with all that, you know, the, the stuff right away that like Oregon had just sort of gotten screwed by two consecutive coaches, you know, bailing on them, mm-hmm. um, arguably kind of early. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, duck fans sort of, I don't know if it's just like moral high ground or what, but just being like, you know, a coach who wants to do the right thing by their last team, you know, feels like a refreshing change of pace. So like that bottom, I think, um, some, some happy smiles. Um, 
I wrote an entire series because the entire coaching staff changed over. Yeah. Um, I wrote an entire series on, on every one of the hires. Some of them were some, like guys I'd never really heard of before. Um, but like, as I dove in, I was like, I really started to appreciate, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the way that they like complemented each other. And they all have like history with the similar system. Um, the, the sort of tight, slash mint front uh, stuff. I really like the way that he assembled the defensive coaching staff and the offensive coaching staff is a little more um, of like, who, who's this guy, you know, like Kenny Dillingham, for example, the offensive coordinator who had, you know, basically been under um, Mike Norvell uh, for a couple of years um, and Gus Ball's on for one of them, but with Bo Nix, you know, during his SEC rookie of the year season in 2019. Um, and like, you know, that, that was a little more like, you know, who knows, um, a lot of good recruiters, but like, um, you know, and then, you know, fast forward to the game against Georgia and Oregon gets, you know, humiliated, uh, and it's sort of like, oh, you know, what's going on, but like the silver lining of that game, you know, I know it doesn't like seem like much and this might sound insane. Um, but like, if you really dive into the numbers, Oregon on offense was actually moving the ball fairly well. They just couldn't finish drives and nix through two stupid interceptions. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in the subsequent two games, like, you know, the what you really pick up on is like, yeah, Dillingham knows what he's doing. Um, there's this stuff is sort of difficult to quantify, and I'm a big quant person. I'm a film study charting kind of person. Um, but like, there's a lot of really smart sequencing to the way that, you know, he, he calls plays, really sort of like messing with the defense, getting them to defend the last play and then popping off something um, based on their overreaction, which like I it's – it's fun to be able to detect that sort of stuff. Um, and for a fairly young and fairly unknown offensive coordinator to come in and, and do stuff like that, that feels like advanced OC stuff, um, you know, feels pretty good. So I think everybody's pretty happy with the coaching staff so far, even though they took a humiliating loss in their very first game. Yeah. Um, Cause like, Jesus Christ, man, that, that Georgia team might be the second coming of Miami. Well, like, yeah, like they and... might do that to everybody. <laughs> no, know? I know. And I, I kind of wanted to touch on that as well because, like, I I saw that, and it, and it's not that I saw, but I think it was forty nine to three coming. I I certainly saw Georgia winning that game easily. It just Georgia is just Georgia. They drive a bus through everybody, like without exception, pretty much, except for maybe Alabama. Um, so you look at that game, and then you dismantle Eastern Washington, kind of expected, and then you really blow the doors off of BYU. Um, last week, what has kind of been the most instructive thing from those three games? Because I kind of go those first two, I go relatively expected, expected, and then BYU, at least the kind of the depth of the blowout in the first half surprised me, but maybe not necessarily that Oregon won that game. So, like, what is, like, one instructive thing you kind of take from that first three games of the season that says we, we kind of know this for sure about this team? Um there's very little to be perfectly honest yeah. um, because all three of those games are so weird. Um, you know, like I said, George is, you know, a freight train and really difficult to get good data out of that. The other thing sort of about it is that like that you can pick up from doing film study is that like Georgia had hacked Dan Lanning's passwords, not literally, but like they knew exactly <laughs> what he was going to do on defense. Mm -hmm. And like, you can really tell from film studies, like, yep, that's exactly what, you know, he, they would know where they were going to blitz from and the pass goes exactly to where the void is, you know, over and over. And I wrote a whole article about it and it's just sort of like, Oh, so you take the most talented team in college football history and then you add cheat codes to it. Like Jesus. Um, 
So then, you know, Eastern Washington, I know that team has been a scary FCS team in the past, but like it, that's this year's team is going to be one of their down years. I think they, they, um, you know, they, they sort of lost everybody who made them, uh, you know, really great on offense last mm-hmm. year. So like that, it's sort of like a standard FCS game, which that's what you're expected to do. Um, and then, you know, against BYU, it's frankly sort of an overrated team. Um, you know, when I completed my film study on them, I was really sort of shocked by how poor their efficiency numbers were, um, in particular rush offense and rush defense for uh, the Blue Cougars, um, which is weird because they that's a team that their coaching staff thinks they're more physically dominant in the trenches than they really are, which leads them to make a bunch of, in my opinion, like personnel mistakes. So, like you know, good for Oregon for taking advantage of them, but, like, you still don't quite know what they're going to do against a team that has an identity and knows what they're doing and knows what their strengths and weaknesses are um, and is, you know, and is not going to make those sort of, like, delusional mistakes. And I I think that describes Wazoo from, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've now charted all three of Wazoo's games. And, like, you know, Wazoo's got some strengths, Wazoo's got some weaknesses. But, like, you know, I think it's a really well-coached team, and I think they don't do dumb stuff. You know, like it's uh, just as an example, I don't see the terrible tackling out of the defense that I had sort of gotten accustomed to watching um, Mike Leach's teams over the years mm-hmm. um, and, and Nick Rolovich's team. Um, like, I, I see sort of like general like assignment sound, you know, or, or you know, sound tackling, I should say. Um, and, and there's other stuff, you know, I. I will write a whole article about Wazoo and publish it on Friday and Addicted to Quack. If you want to know my full thoughts, you can read it then. Um, but, like, I feel like this Coug team is the, the Red Cougs, uh, uh is the first team that Oregon's going to play that, like, is a really solid measuring stick to figure out yeah. what Oregon really is, which, like, as a film reviewer, like, win, lose, or draw, that's what I want to know, <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, I guess the best answer to your question, you asked me a question, then I refused to answer it. So let me give you the best question. Which I think the thing that I'm most confident in saying that is better about Oregon in 2022 than in 2021 is that they have a much more accurate quarterback now. Like, say what you will about Bo Nix, um, and there's a lot to be said about him, but coming off of the Anthony Brown experience where, like, something like 15% of his passes were just like, Anthony, that is not where the ball is supposed to be placed. Like, what are you doing? Um, Nick's doesn't throw that. Like he, he throws a catchable on time, properly placed ball. He has twice in this year thrown a dumb ball. Um, uh, uh, but that's sort of a different question. Like, you know, you, you know, defenses that face Oregon should not count on them having drops or misplaced balls. Um, and that, I, I got to say, like, I, that might sound like a small thing, but, like, as an Oregon fan, I had to watch, you know, the Anthony Brown experience for all this time and, like, previous other quarterbacks, um, you know, uh, after uh, Justin Herbert, like, and hell, even including Justin Herbert during his college days, uh, you know, to have a quarterback who's just accurate, yeah. like, and you don't have to worry about that, like, oh, my God, dude, like, it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's been one benefit of the air raid for so long at Wazoo is that it just helps to be accurate. We're seeing a few issues of that with Cam Ward this year, um, but yeah, I, that's, a a lot, that's a lot of coming up from FCS game speed, I think, as well. You touched on Knicks um, a little bit there. and you know One thing I noticed, at least at running back, is no Troy Dye this year. He transferred to um, USC, and it seems to me, just raw numbers-wise, I mean, these are just counting stats, that... It's much more running back by committee 
this year? Is this is this a matter of the coaching staff kind of, you know, kind of like to your point, trying to figure out what they have and, you know, you get a good measuring stick this weekend in Wazoo or is it just that these guys are all equally talented and we can keep them fresh by rotating them out uh, a little bit more than, you know, you might be accustomed to? I suspect the latter. Um, I think that Carlos Lachlan, who's another one of those coaches um, who like came out of nowhere, but turns out to be, ooh, that guy's a real up and comer. Like he, he might be difficult to for Oregon to lock down. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's really got that running back room in shape. I, I really think they just have like five really good backs. Um, Cardwell was injured in this last game. They held on something minor. They held him out, but like including the, the true freshman James. Like, uh, yeah, they've got just five really good backs, and and they you know are just rotating and keeping them fresh. Um, I don't really think there's much significance to that, other than like a you know an embarrassment of riches. Um, the, uh, the the other thing that should be said about the running game is that, and maybe would have been a better answer to your question a, a, a minute ago about like what do you know for certain about Oregon, um, is that the offensive line is really good, um, like really good, and it's like a very rare thing to be able to say in the Pac-12. Like it's, I I haven't. I haven't done films about every single team in the Pac-12 yet, but I'm fairly confident in saying this is the best offensive line in the Pac-12. It's certainly, I think, the best run-blocking offensive line in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I don't want to say you could put anybody back behind that offensive line and they do well because that's not quite true. But, like, really that's where the secret sauce is. Um, and it's really why, you know, Oregon dominated BYU as much as they did, you know, building up to that 38-7 to lead before garbage time was just like, you know, Oregon just ran, 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 ran the ball and BYU just – was powerless to stop it. I wrote a whole article about this. It's up on Addicted to Quack right now, um, you know, about how Oregon did that. Um, uh, uh, That will be an interesting challenge to watch because I've really appreciated it under, you know, Jake Dickard era starting in 2020, especially the defensive ends, you know, uh, all all the guys whose numbers end in zero, you know, 10 and 50 and 20 and 80. Um, Like, I I really appreciate the speed off the edge, um, and it will be fun to watch uh, that matchup. Let's move, uh, speaking of the defense, I want to move to Oregon's defense because, um, again, one thing I noticed, and again, these are just counting stats, but just three sacks so far this season. So what is kind of the defensive philosophy on that side of the ball? They don't seem to be forcing a ton of turnovers. Is it just sound, get the other, get the offense off the field type football, or what? what's going on with the defense? Because obviously Dan Lanning's a defensive guy, and is that kind of where you see more of his mark on this team is on the defense? The, uh, I think what that's about is simply they're, they are trying to prevent – all the quarterbacks that they have played have been very effective scramblers. Mm-hmm. And what, what you pick up is that they are trying to play with real rush lane discipline and not, you know, oh, I'm real excited because I beat this dude and then make a, a move that lets the quarterback spin out and get a bunch of yards. So, and if you go back and watch the Georgia film in 2021 when Lanning was the coordinator at Georgia, you actually see exactly the same thing. Like, I believe that's philosophical. Now, Georgia was getting sacks anyway because they had, like, superhuman defensive yeah. linemen who, like, even while playing in that sort of more constrained style, were still destroying people and getting to the quarterback. And, like, Oregon, as much as I like their defensive line, um, doesn't have those dudes. Um like, I think that's the difference. It's just, it's philosophically that, you know, they are playing to prevent you from scrambling uh, rather than playing to, like, I need to get a sack at all costs. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm not really worried about that number. I don't think that Oregon has a spectacular edge rush this year. Like, they don't have a replacement for Kayvon Thibodeau. That's probably, like, the number one way in which, the you know, the defense got better in some ways. It got worse in one way. Um, the worst in one way is they don't have a replacement for Kayvon Thibodeau. Well, it would, be very, but, it would be very hard to have a replacement for a guy like that. Yeah, right. Go, yeah. Um, and, and they don't have a guy like Jordan Davis um, – or, you know, Nicobe Dean or the other, like, superhuman athletes that Georgia had in 2021 who were producing sacks, even though the philosophy was not really about producing sacks um, either. So that's why you get the numbers that you get. But, like, I don't really put any stock in it. Um, if this mm-hmm. were the type of defense that was, like, which I've watched at Oregon over the years, that was, like, really predicated on producing sacks but wasn't, I would be worried. But I don't really think that describes this defense. So it doesn't, you know, I don't really think about it much. I think the WSU offense, and I, actually I don't think this, the numbers just bear out that it's certainly the side of the ball struggling a little bit more, which is not something fans are used to. We're kind of hoping Cam Ward can get up to FBS game speed, and he's had a little bit of trouble um, doing that so far, I think at least a little bit more than we thought he would. Is there one particular area of this Oregon defense that you know, you, you kind of worry about with an offense that comes in like Washington State. It's a variation on the air raid. This is not Mike Leach's air raid anymore, I think, to the happiness and chagrin of some Wazoo fans. But is there one particular area Wazoo can try to exploit here as they try to kind of get their offense going? Or is this just kind of sound relatively everywhere and you're going to have to kind of pick your spots to get some big chunk plays against them? Well, it's difficult to say because a metaphor do you remember back in 2019 um when utah won the south but like they early in the season they got beat by usc um you remember that game yep i, th- I think i remember that game yeah that, that was the game where where uh like they, they were down to like their third string quarterback I think yes it was JT Daniels yes or, or no it was think I, I forget but anyway he was just like lobbing bombs to nfl wide receivers all day long and like utah couldn't quite keep up and then and then that was like basically utah's i think only loss until they got to the conference championship game um and uh, and what had happened and because they played oregon in that game i did a whole film study project on all of utah season and what i detected was that like every team that utah played after that usc game tried to replicate usc's game plan but like they discovered they didn't have five star wide receivers yeah that's a bit of a problem yeah I think I am seeing so far um, teams, and I expect this to continue in the conference play, teams watched what Georgia did to Oregon in terms of attacking the perimeter and, like, Oregon's defense wasn't able to handle it. Um, I have seen teams try to do the, you know, replicate that game plan. Um, and so far, Eastern Washington and BYU were not able to successfully do so, even though they were trying. Like, that's – and so I, I – I feel like Oregon is actually the, – the personnel that they have against the attack the perimeter game plan is actually pretty good. Um, and it's sort of one of those things, you know, the, the Briar Rabbit, like, you know, please don't toss me into the Briar Patch kind of thing. Like, But, you know, by all means, attack the perimeter. I actually think Oregon's pretty good at defending it, even though they had that black eye against Georgia. Um, the thing that I'd be much more worried about is, is deep shots against cornerbacks who aren't named Christian Gonzalez. Um, that's really, I think, the biggest vulnerability that mm-hmm. Oregon has. Is just, they've got one really good cornerback on one side of the field, and the other side of the field is like really kind of TBD right now. And um, and so if 
um, Cameron Ward has really, I haven't really seen him take a lot of, of deep shots, you know, and I, he sort of has seemed so far to be, even putting it in terms of like getting up to FBS speed, I would put it more like, I think he's a one read quarterback, or at least he has been so yeah, far. He has been. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, but if he, and like, if that's not there, he just sort of scrambles. Um, and against Wisconsin, that was leading to sacks. And against um, Colorado State, it was leading to him making crazy completions because Colorado State's defense against the scramble drill stunk so bad. Um, if he instead sort of grows up, I think, and stays in the pocket and hits a, you know some sideline routes against Oregon's questionable you know one side of the field, that's what makes me worried about Wazoo's offense because they certainly have the wide receivers to pull that off. Yeah. Um, and Ward certainly has the arm strength, you know, to pull that off. It's just sort of a question of like whether or not he's going to he's going to do it, which like beats me, man. You know, Wazoo has a bunch of question marks next to it, you know, mm-hmm. as well. And, and, and because you know, because its opponents have also been, you know, it's an FCS team that Wazoo struggled against. It was CSU that really stinks. It's Wisconsin, which had you know, Jesus Christ, man, like that Wisconsin game is so weird. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, very well. I mean, very, I I just like beating you, Dub. That's the only important thing to me. And they yeah, did it no, again. They did it again. Yeah, I, it's I, wonderful. You know, Michael, <laughs> I remember the first time that you had me on the show. It was back in 2018. Uh, Oregon was just coming off of beating Washington, and you opened up like, you know, how you feeling uh, uh, about beating Washington? And I was like, oh, the same same way that you guys do when you beat Washington. Remember how that feels, right? <laughs> I, I can't make that joke anymore. No, right? you can't. You know, yeah. I I it's, know, it's so, deeply fresh in my memory now. Yes. Two game UW winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They actually they showed uh, apparently a highlight of us beating uh, UW or UW beating Wisconsin at UW when they were playing whoever they were playing that week and UW fans cheered and went oh good they cheer for us when we beat UW that's good to know um, I just I like knowing that uh, six and a half point favorites are Oregon in this game uh, so that really means with about a three figure always a field goal gets given to the home team really about a ten point advantage. Um, betting wise for Oregon. And I think again, you know, kind of like we've been talking about hit the day. I think it's these, these teams have not really played a like team so far yeah. this year. And so this is really, you know, in the fourth game, this is like, Oh, Hey, someone who kind of sort of is us again in conference. And maybe that's just more what you find when you're playing in conference. Familiar with each other, yeah, you know? exactly. Like Oregon and Wazoo play every year. Yeah. You know? Like, yes, these are sort of new coaching staffs, but like, you know, yeah. all that game film is there. You know, like yeah. that, that whole library and the player institutional knowledge is there. Yeah. Give me a prediction then of how you think this is going to go because I, I think for at least for me, um, you know, we we've seen Oregon struggle at times with Washington State. They always seem to be kind of a thorn in the side, and then we've seen Washington State obviously struggle at times with Oregon. It never, you know, I I don't think it's like there've been a ton of close games, but it it always seems like. Oregon has some trouble with Wazoo for whatever reason, or at least that's been the case for the last, let's say, after Paul Wolf got fired. Years. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you know, well, and Pullman is a scary place to play. Um, I don't know. I think sort of a lot of that streak was like Oregon not having the right quarterback in place, and I sort of am more confident about Knicks. Um, uh, I don't know the if if. If this game doesn't have weird stuff in it, which is never a safe bet when you're playing the Kooks, um, especially not in Pullman, um, I, I would expect Oregon to cover that spread. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Oregon should have a um, 
in my opinion, should have a, a pretty good advantage in the rushing game, both offense and defense. Um, I don't think they're going to be as dumb as Wisconsin was in terms of like, let's run into eight man boxes. Um, and, uh, and that was sort of the thing that, you know, Oregon demonstrated against BYU was that like they were perfectly comfortable leaning into their run game and sort of like establish a lead, sit on the lead, throw some play action passes and that, you know, call it a day. Um, I feel like Oregon is capable of doing that to Wazoo. Um, possible, you know, areas in which Wazoo flips the script around and wins this game, I would say include, number one, the, the, well, two things that I've mentioned already. Number one is if, you know, Ward, you know, hit some deep shots against, you know, the half of the field that Oregon is not um, defending as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and number two is that um, some of the pressure gets to Knicks, and Knicks responds by doing dumb stuff um, because that, I mean, that certainly seems to be part of uh, who he is. If Oregon gives him a clean pocket, um, uh, he should be okay. Um, if Wazoo is getting to him, he has demonstrated the capacity to uh, do real dumb stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what Wazoo preys on turnovers like that, that has not changed, not at all. Mm-mm. Nope, not even a little bit. It's the day from addictedtoquack.com. You can read all their good stuff uh, in the week leading up to what seems to be an annually absolutely off the wall football game. It just literally doesn't matter um, how good or bad either of these teams are. Just, I I can never depend on anything except for some insanity to happen. So thank you again for your time, sir. Uh, My pleasure. Anytime. We are back on the Coog center hour. Uh, And I I know (laughs) this is semi realignment related and I know we're all getting sick of talking about it. I'm getting sick of talking about it, reading about it, everything, because I just hate what could happen to, Washington State, um, in that in that worst case scenario, it keeps me up at night sometimes, actually, frankly. Um, but Brett McMurphy um, from Action Network uh, reporting that the Bedlam series, you guys all know that's between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, will be done once Oklahoma's move to the SEC is completed. Whenever that is, I know that part of um, you know part of maybe that early negotiation Brett Yormark with the Big Twelve was talking about was possibly negotiating an earlier exit. Uh, for Texas and Oklahoma, who I think are in the conference for at least three more football seasons. Uh, yeah, until 2025. So um, they've, they've got a ways to go in there. So the But the series will end uh, once Oklahoma moves into the SEC. Um, this is not surprising. This is a side effect of you know, of, of realignment of these bigger schools that maybe have rivals that are smaller, like Washington and Washington state and Oregon and Oregon state. Um, this is a side effect of that. It is rare to see, you know, true rivalry games played across conferences, Utah and BYU, um, I, they, I think they took a hiatus from the Holy War for a while. Colorado, Colorado State aren't playing this year. That's usually uh, an annual game. Pac-12 to Mountain West. Iowa, Iowa State is played most years. Uh, Miami of Ohio and Cincinnati. Apparently, I didn't know that's a small rivalry. Uh, the Backyard Brawl is not played much um, because Pittsburgh's in the ACC and West Virginia's in the Big 12. Uh, so... This is just one of those things that kind of gets pushed 
to the side in the name of bigger checks from your TV partners. And this really stinks. Because, again, at its heart, this sport, not just football, but every other sport at these schools is regional. You care when Washington State beats Washington in football and basketball. Because you live around people who root for the other school. And who you can rub it in the face of until the team's playing again. And then you can hopefully keep rubbing it in the face even longer. So, the, the disappointing thing here to me is that is that this is just going to continue. The more that you get realignment kind of taking away half of a rivalry. It didn't do that with USC and UCLA, but then again, I, who really cares about that? Um, the more you get of it taking away half a rivalry, God forbid Washington and Oregon leave for the Big Ten, the exact same thing is going to happen with the Apple Cup and the Civil War. There is no incentive for Washington State or Oregon State to play those games anymore. Nor, frankly, is there incentive for Oregon and Washington to play those games anymore. Be it in football, be it in basketball, whatever. There's no reason to take up a non-conference game every year with someone who was previously on your conference schedule. It doesn't allow you wiggle room in scheduling. It doesn't give you you know, the ability to go play more like teams or to get wins that you need. It's it's really it's disappointing. Now I get that Miami and Florida State, well actually Miami and Florida State are in the same conference. So Florida and Miami make it work occasionally and Florida State and Florida make it work on an annual basis. But it, it's still a big ask. And those those games are not only of regional interest, they're of national interest. And you're also looking at, again, what are kind of like programs. I don't think it's out of bounds to acknowledge that resource-wise, and historically, Washington has been a better program than Washington State. So why, if they leave for the Big Ten, and that, and that likely causes massive financial issues for Washington State and Oregon State, and then that gap just widens, what incentive is there for either of the land-grant colleges in Washington and Oregon to play against their formal, former rival? There is no incentive for Oklahoma State to play Oklahoma. Oklahoma is going to get a much bigger TV contract than whatever the Big 12 is going to get, and whether you believe that's going to be astronomically higher than the Pac-10 or whatever, but it's still going to be a lot more in the SEC. And there is no point in Oklahoma State, or Oklahoma for that matter, filling up a game with an out-of-conference opponent that used to be your conference opponent. There's no point in doing it in basketball. There's no point in doing any of this. There's no incentive. Because you've left. You have made this more difficult. And there's just something about being in the same conference that I think it makes it more special. And it makes it more, the rivalry a little nastier. It gives it more vitriol. It gives it all of that. 
But when you are gone and you're playing, you know, if when Oklahoma's playing South Carolina, I mean, do you, do you care as much about your rival anymore? When Washington's playing Rutgers, do I care? I care when they're playing Cal. I care when they're playing Oregon State. I don't care when they're playing Illinois. I don't. And, you know, it, it, it ending won't preclude anybody. You know, Washington's not going to stay in the Pac-12 just because, well, we want to keep having a conference game with Wazoo. Okay, that's not the case. But this is what this is what ends stuff like that. It ends regional rivalries like that. And you're going to continue to see more and more of it. There was a great tweet after the backyard brawl this year because that was a fantastic football game between Pitt and West Virginia. Two schools that genuinely do not like one another. And and I, I want games like that all the time. But the conferences and their TV partners are like, mm, we think you'd rather have Pitt versus Virginia. We think you'd rather have West Virginia, Texas Tech. <laughs> no, I don't want that. I want Pitt and West Virginia to play each other every year. That's what I want. Give me that, please. Instead, no, you don't get that. It, it it it's just it's a side effect of all of this, and it stinks, and I hate it. But that's how it's going to be going forward. If all of this stuff goes worst case scenario, that's how it'll be. The Big Ten's being smarter about it by at least taking a regional rival in theory again. Um, but I it's. I don't know. I it it's just another thing that gets taken away, and I I think I I knew all this was coming, but it doesn't make it any less. I don't want to say heartbreaking. That's probably too strong a word, but it it certainly doesn't make it easy. We'll put it that way. Let's listen to the fight song, the best fight song in America, first of all, uh, and then we'll come back. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. On the Thunder head of the week. Uh, as you may know, uh, Herm Edwards was let go by Arizona State uh, earlier this week in a move that was probably about a year late. 
given the whatever the heck that vision Ray Anderson, who probably should have been fired as well by Michael Crow, the president of ASU, um, whatever vision he had for Herm Edwards, like leadership, executive committee crap for football, it didn't work, and it worked very badly. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt. Like, I, like I don't have any personal animosity towards Herm Edwards at all, uh, nor Arizona State at all. Um, so, <laughs> but for for the public, it is it is very funny, and I'm kind of phrasing this in a weird way, but there's video out that is very very evident that Michael Crow and Ray Anderson told Herm Edwards as he was walking off the field after his team lost to Eastern Michigan last weekend. Uh, that they were going to let him go. That, like, he's, like, nodding and kind of, like, patting him on the back, saying, okay, okay, okay. And then he, like, like mouthing, like, thank you or something to that effect. Um, maybe don't do that on the field in view of cameras to, like, not humiliate your guy a little bit on the way out. And I get, well, you know, humiliated the program and blah, blah, blah. But it's still a job. Like, nobody wants to get fired in front of a lot of people like that like there, there's a tunnel back to the locker room or even after the game and after everything's over or even just on Sunday morning hey bud why don't you come into the office we need to talk about your job and fire him there you don't need to tell him that on the field after the game please don't do that like that that's there, there's a billion better ways to handle that uh, so Michael Crow Ray Anderson gets uh Dunderhead of the week for just not going into the what, what did they call it in How I Met Your Mother like the separation uh, like Zen room. God, Ted Mosby was an insufferable protagonist. If you haven't watched How I Met Your Mother, watch like the first four-ish seasons, like like right around there, and then you can just stop after that. Don't even bother with the ninth season, especially the last episode. I'm still not over it. Ask Michael. Anything. At Hendu Manchu Blackie, what are we going to have to do to get a throwback game to the Terriers with blue and pink unis? I've been begging for this for years now. And I, that, that April Fool's tweet the school put out earlier this year with the pink and blue, or, you know, uh, pink and blue unis. Um, and everybody goes, this is dope. You should do that. I, like, I'm, I, like, what's it going to take, guys? Like an opener against an FCS team where we can see it. Like, what, what's it going to take? It's got it's better than the gray crimson gray combo. So what do we got to do? What do we got to do? Seems tailor made for a game like that. Can we please do that? I'm begging you. At Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan. What is your music playlist or podcast lineup for the drive to and from Pullman? Uh, to Pullman to get me hyped up in the party mood. We do the 06 to 2010 greatest hits playlist on Spotify. That gets me like amped up on the way home. Um, I'm usually trying to find like, if there's an NFL game on radio, I try to listen to it. Um, and then anything after that, it's just kind of like whatever music is going to zone me out for what is a very long five hours, a little less than that out of the West Seattle bridge. So thank God at cloud based Aaron, Aaron, when are you finally getting an iPhone? <laughs> Maybe sooner rather than later after I saw that advertisement for, uh, for like Fortnite, for them advertising in Fortnite with the Jimmy, with the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. That might be it. Samsung, sorry, Samsung was doing that, and I, I have a Samsung, and now I might have to switch just because of that. At Ryan Callie 18, Ryan Callahan, since it's Oregon Week, <laughs> say the first word, um, make love to, marry, or kill Oregonian teams, the Ducks, the Timbers, 
Portland Trailblazers. I might marry the Trailblazers. I don't know. Then the Oregon Ducks but the make love to and the kill the Timbers because that's still that I as as a Sounders fan they annoy me the most. I don't, yeah I don't know why. Maybe I'd feel different. Uh, ask me again Sunday morning or even Saturday night. Ask me again then it might be different. At five twenty three Coug underscore Ian, if Wazoo had to change their name from the Washington State Cougars to something else, and they asked you what it should be, what would you choose? The Washington State blanks. Oh. I mean, Terriers is always fun. That's a good throwback. Aggies is a little, like, on the nose, isn't it? Like, earthworms for the big Palouse earthworm. Now, that's a little that's a little odd. Yeah, I don't... Gosh, that's a really tough one. It's got to be something, like, ag-based, right? Like, something to do with that. Uh, the volcanoes. We're in a volcanic area. The, the, the river floods. The, for the Missoula River floods that created the Palouse. Wouldn't that be cool? Huh. Yeah, gosh, I, that's a great question. I love cougars so much, I've never thought to have to change the name. That's the thing. Um, man, I might just go basic and say the Aggies. Is that too basic? That might be too basic. I don't know. I I tried to look at these again before I answer them. So this, this, this requires a little bit more creative thinking, I think, than that. So I would say Aggies for now. At CCOOG8606, Sean says, Go Cougs. Your favorite Saturday morning or after school cartoon is a wee lad. Please and thank you. Rocket Power or Hey Arnold. Both up there. Uh, Recess on Saturday mornings was really good. Doug on Saturday mornings as well. All really solid choices. At Jeff White, Jeffrey White, if the current iteration of the WSU football team were an ice cream flavor, what flavor would they be? Um, <laughs> Rocky Road. Uh, at Coach Smith... <laughs> Smith 99, Brendan Smith, apple or pumpkin pie after Thanksgiving dinner? Ooh. If the apple pie is warm and it's served a la mode, I go with that. If not, I do love pumpkin pie. So if not, if, if I can't get warm apple pie and a la mode, then I'll go pumpkin. That's what I'll go with. At Connor John Fort, Connor John Fort, worst ever Oregon Ducks uniform combo. Uh, anything with the diamond plate they had on their shoulders. You guys remember that? And it had like the weird like <clears throat> like circular numbers. It was really weird. those were like the Dennis Dixon era uh, jerseys. I think Marcus Mariota never wore those. I don't believe. Like that's those were. We can all agree those were bad, right? Like we can all look back and go that should not have been done. At Schulte 10 Nick, would you take Mike Leach for the rest of his career with a 6-6 six and six floor but a 2018 ceiling, or start fresh with Dickert with a lower floor but a potentially higher ceiling? I mean, I think I'd go with Dickert for the higher ceiling. You guys know me. I like dependability, so it's like, it's like reasonable you know, to think, oh, Mike, Mike's going to pick Mike Leach. Man, I just I want the higher ceiling. Like that, I, I remember how good 10 wins felt, and really 11 with the Alamo Bowl. I, yeah, I think I want the higher ceiling. At... Adam N. Davis, Adam Davis, do you think the replay operator at Geesefield is purposely not showing replays of crucial plays or calls, or is it just too much to ask in the pace of the game? I know everybody who works that, guys. It, it's really hard to Elvis that quick, and the Elvis is the replay machine, or it used to be called the re I used to imagine when you wound it back for a replay and went, ho, ho, ho. It, I don't know why it's called the Elvis, but I always imagine that. Um, it's really hard to do that quick, guys. And in stadium, you're, you're really looking to keep it on gameplay generally. And if you have time to show replay, then great, show replay. Um, but yeah. At 
five Grizz, 509 Grizz. What FCS team is your favorite? I like Idaho. I like Idaho. I also just generally root for any Northwest team. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, Montana, Montana State. I like them both. I don't have, like, a favorite. If you made me pick a favorite, I would pick Idaho. I would pick Idaho. I've been to one Idaho game, and it was an absolute blast. At WC Brady 27 Brady, our new rival is OSU. What is the cup, trophy, whatever called? Uh... <laughs> The States Cup. The Land Grant Grab. The PNW something alliteration with a P. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the Palouse Willamette. Like, the, the, you know, the Cyhawk Trophy. I'm trying to think of like something like that. The Palouse Willamette Trophy. These are all horrible. <laughs> Oregon 31, Washington State 27. Just can't do enough to win this one. They'll fight like heck. They'll come close. Just don't think they have what it takes to get over the hump in this one. We'll talk to you next week before homecoming, before Cal. We'll chat then. Thank you again for listening to Cook Center Hour. I so very appreciate it on a weekly basis, guys.